right, we're going to go ahead and, and get started this morning. Good morning to you. I hope that you are enjoying the uh, ongoing rain that's uh, blessing us right now. My goodness. That actually kept me awake. Was it two nights ago that there was the, the light show outside? That was unbelievable. I almost wanted to wake up the boys and bring them out there just to watch it, but I didn't do that. When they go to sleep, you just let them, you just let them stay. Stay that way. Stay that way as long as you can. Um, this, I, and I apologize. I meant to, instead of starting with this picture, I meant to put up that picture that Ken has found that is kind of, is kind of horrifying to me, but it's also fascinating. I can't stop looking at it with the guy being torn in two by the, his heart and his brain. I meant to start with that to kind of get our attention, but maybe, maybe, uh, maybe next week. Um, so... This week, we move to what is, I believe it is the largest chapter in the book. Um, He calls it at least, on the first page, he says, uh, uh, this is the book's most dense chapter. I haven't done a hard page count comparing to last week, either last week or this week. Uh, These are the two big ones. A A lot of application in these things. Last week, we were... We were hearing about um, uh, the work that must be done to calibrate our own consciences in light of these things we've been talking about, in light of what the conscience is according to Scripture, and the fact that I'm not the Lord of my conscience, and the fact that I have an obligation from God to be actively working to calibrate my conscience to, so that it matches up with the Word of God. Um, and, and as we're going to see in a couple of places this morning, that sort of provides the the starting point for this week, which is now we're going to shift away from um, me working on my own conscience and its calibration to a relational sort of question. How should you relate to fellow Christians when your consciences disagree? Um, And and in particular, this is going to be, um, we're going to be talking about things this morning uh, sort of with with local churches in mind. So, um, how do you relate to fellow Christians, and in particular, the way that that comes up most often is our brothers and sisters that we are with in a local family having to, you know, it's, it's in our family that we have uh, struggles that, that, that come up, right, uh, most often. And so that's, that's where we're going um, today. And before we pray, I just want to read this, this quote to you. It'll underscore the need that we have to pray for what we're doing this morning and for our thinking He says, the complexity of conscience-related problems rises exponentially when you move from an individual to a group of people, and so do the stakes. And I think we all understand that implicitly. Things get much more complicated, and the stakes get higher when it comes to uh, these matters in the context of of a community. So with that in mind, let's... Let's uh, pause as we start here and pray and ask for the Lord's blessing on us. Father, you, you are the one that we come to when we, when we see that we are in need of blessing, that we are in need of protection, that we're in need of growth, strengthening. Uh, there is no source for all any of these things other than you. Uh, there is nowhere else for us to turn. We are... We are alone, we are in the dark, we are without hope if we are not 
walking with you. And so we, we ask this morning, we thank you for bringing us here. We continue to see these times you're giving us as great blessings, um, conscious, specific acts on your part to grow your children, to strengthen us and bless us. Lord, help us not to take it for granted. Help us to be thankful to you. And as a result of that, help us to, to really engage in, in, these, in these studies and to think about how, uh, how it applies to me and how uh, and where I need to adjust the way I have felt in the past, the way I've thought in the past, the way I've behaved, uh, so that I, I am uh, receiving these gifts that you're giving to us. I'm, 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 I'm being grown by the work that your spirit is, is doing. And we thank you for the, the times and the ways like these that you do that. So guard us this morning and bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this, this, is a, this is descriptive not just of complicated situations, but of inevitable situations. Right? Well, the fact is, if we are Christians and if God has saved us in that way and put us into a church, that part of the way that the church displays the glory of God is in the diversity in the church, that he's bringing together people that wouldn't usually be brought together because there are obstacles and boundaries naturally that only the gospel breaks down, right? So we're being brought together, this supernatural thing, um, fellowship, unity, family, where there wasn't before. Hmm, what might happen in that context when sin still remains and when we are not yet perf- we're not yet perfect? Well, we're going to be coming with different backgrounds with different perspectives and as we've been hearing in this study that the development of the conscience is a personal thing it's an individual thing and it's something that the Lord does gradually in us we're going to be getting together every week with a whole group of people who are in different places in different conscience issues different conscience uh, topics and so it's going to get complicated and it's going to um Stakes are high, as we're going to see. Some of this is because it, it really can threaten the very unity and fellowship that's supposed to display God to people who see us. Right? The, 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 the purposes for which the church gathers can be at risk if we're not thinking carefully about this, uh, the title for our chapter. How should we relate to fellow Christians when our consciences disagree? And he starts off, they start off the chapter with with a principle, just a sort of a reality that, that is very important for us to, to have uh, in mind when it comes to our beliefs about uh, a variety of different topics, uh, things that we can have conscience weigh in on this way or that. So he's going to start with by, by describing a concept that he calls theological triage. What, is the, what, what happens in the, in the triage unit? Um, and he, he, he described going in one time with a bro- broken leg, I think, uh, and, and filling out his information and sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And he's there for two hours. And then someone else walks in, well, is brought in the door, and they go right on back. And he, you're thinking, what in the world? I've, I've been here. What they're doing is they're, they're judging between the severity of things, right? That guy's problem was more important than yours, so on he goes, and you keep waiting. And he says, this is something we have to start with on a chapter like this, the reality that in, our, uh, in the realm of 
conscience issues. And, and in the realm of beliefs, in the realm of theological beliefs, all theological beliefs and positions are not created equal. There are some beliefs, let, let me say this and just see if this, this may just be a matter of course for you or it may be something for us to think about. Um, some, well, how does he put it in here? Um, he says, uh, he quotes 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Paul says there, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. First importance. And then he goes on to, to list out the, 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 these facts concerning the coming of Christ, the work of Christ. And he says, these are things I delivered to you as of first importance. Well, what does that mean? That means that there are other things that are important but are not as important, right? He, he, he's making, a, a, he's making a, a judgment call in terms of, of levels of importance in these things. And so the book says, uh, the words first importance imply that although everything in the Bible is important, not everything is equally important. Some doctrines are more important. Now, what do you think about that just from, from the beginning? Does that sound like something that rings true? I think it can be the sort of statement that maybe at first glance it can almost feel, are we allowed to say that? I mean, everything is important, and everything is important. But the ability to distinguish is going to be really helpful for us to, to have. Yeah, Mike? Okay, I think that would be a, that would be a fair comparison. Yeah, I think that's right. All biblical truth is important, but the Bible itself holds up some of those things, some of those truths as more important than others. There are, would you agree, maybe we could put it this way, there are some things you simply can't get wrong. <laughs> you can't. If you want to leave, you can, right? Uh, if you want to walk away from the faith, you can, but you can't get them wrong and still be in the faith. There are plenty of things you can get wrong. Because I have those things, and you have those things. So if that's the case, then that's just describing what we're laying out here. And he... Oh, that's exactly right. And that's another great point. One of the, re- the reasons this is the case is because the Bible is clearer on some things than other things. Right? And so this is the way, I've, I've, I've heard it um, put in some other ways, uh, tiers, first tier issues, second tier. So he's going to divide issues into three, first level issues, second level issues, and third level issues. So let's just look at these, the descriptions of these for, for a minute. Um, and, and we're sort of intentionally, I'm going to list a couple of examples in some cases, but, but um, we're not going to get into the... The, the gritty details about exactly which matters fall into which categories. For our purposes right now, we just need to see that these categories are here. So there are some things in our faith that we would call first-level issues. These are the, the biblical teachings that are most central to Christianity, most essential. Uh, you, you cannot deny these teachings and still be a Christian. And you probably have some things going through your mind right now as far as the, the nature of Christ, the, the uh, reality of your sin, right? First uh, John 1.8, whoever says he has no sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
Um, there, there are these, these issues. There we go. You can't deny these teachings and still be a Christian. Um, there are some other issues that wouldn't rise to that level. Uh, we're going to call them second-level issues. Now, these are things that, that are also important. And uh, in this case, they're important enough that they, they can and they do and I like the, the wording he, that they put in here. It's, he, they, they, they describe them as creating reasonable boundaries between Christians. What do you think he means by reasonable boundaries? Denominational differences? Denominational differences. Well, you can reason them out, but still, you can agree to disagree. Mm-hmm, right? Yeah. And, I mean, the, so what would be the difference between a reasonable boundary... And an unreasonable boundary. Wouldn't you call an unreasonable boundary something that is a boundary between us that really shouldn't be there? This, it, an unreasonable boundary is something that shouldn't be keeping us apart, but it is. But there are some boundaries between us in, in this stage of redemptive history. I mean, Tom mentioned the reality of denominational differences. Um, those, those differences between us are significant enough that it makes sense that we, would, that we would gather and worship in different congregations. Um, they say you don't have to hold one particular view on these issues to be a Christian, but it's challenging for a church to have a healthy unity when there's disagreement on these matters. Right? So if... if, if so we're not a Presbyterian church. Here's an example. We don't baptize infants. Wouldn't it be kind of challenging to worship together, to just decide to merge with the Presbyterian church, have no positional changes? Um, and then as people have children and, and uh, half of the, the group wants to do one thing and half wants to do other, the, the leadership has to make a decision on this. There's going to be inevitable conflict on these things. Um, it would be very difficult to worship together on, uh, with, with others who, were, who differed with us on certain issues. And he, we're putting these in the level of uh, second-level issues. These are things that would create reasonable boundaries. Um, it would make it very challenging to have a healthy unity. And we could have a unity. We could make, it, we could make the unity so surface-level that we don't care about anything, and then we could worship with anybody. But if we're going to have a healthy unity, there are some issues we have to take a stand on, and it's going to create some boundaries. We're still calling each other brother, though. It's the sort of thing that I just love about the Amarillo Reformed Fellowship stuff we're able to do. We're able to acknowledge this sort of thing. I'm not going to put these things in the first level and question someone's genuineness or even their salvation. They're my brother and sister. Let's fellowship. But, but yet, we're going to be convictional on those things. So... You see the difference between first-level and second-level issues. Both important. There are also third-level issues, which are also important. And that's going to be something we're going to say uh, many times this morning. Um, third-level issues, they're also called uh, uh, disputable matters or matters of conscience. And this is really the realm that he is going to be specifically focusing on as we're, as we're talking about the question this week. Uh, how do we relate to one another? Um, the, these can come in the um, things like uh, particular interpretations of specific passages. 
Uh, we're going to have differences in some of these things. In Genesis chapter uh, 6, talks about the sons of God and the daughters of men. Who are those sons of God? Are those, are those angels who are coming and intermingling with, are those certain, uh, th- there are different positions on those things. Is, w- would, it, would it make sense if, uh, um, I won't pick out anyone as an example, if, if, if someone in here disagreed with, uh, if Bobby's preaching on Genesis 6, and he, he, he tells us what he thinks about that, that he thinks the sons of God in that passage is referring to this, and someone in the congregation disagrees with that. Should they leave and go find another church? That would be a bit unreasonable. We can be uh, charitable about those things. These are not unimportant issues, but members of the same church should be able to disagree on these issues and still have close fellowship with each other. You see how hard I worked to get the font size just so that it would fit on the page there? And my TV screen's not participating, not cooperating very well with me. Um, that's right, exactly. Yeah, there, there are some issues, and this is, this is really the starting point of this whole chapter, is there are issues that brothers and sisters in one body are going to disagree about. And we have to come to the table expecting that to happen, and knowing how to do it in a way that is honorable and charitable and, uh, and does not impede our fellowship together in our worship. Now, you can already see where some of the conscience struggle will come, some of the difficulty is. Uh, how do I decide if this issue is here or here? I, I mean, this, we're not, the, making these, these three levels of issues and laying them out on the screen doesn't make this easy suddenly. Uh, but it is very helpful to start with categories like this. You're describing things that, that are put in second level that you're, you're saying you struggle with the, whether they belong in first level or second, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, and I know what you mean. Rob? I have a family member just telling us a couple of months ago about their um, uh, class in their church where the teacher questioned whether there, there really is a trinity or not. And this was an acceptable... The teacher brought... And I'm, uh, it's... What do you say to... to it, it's... Yeah, it's really something. There, and there's so much more we could say about the, the reasons we need to be able... Even in that case, I mean, we... Goodness sakes, we have to be able to, to identify areas of biblical doctrine that are first level. Um, but we, yeah, that, that's, that's exactly right. There's, there's struggle potentially on, on, all, on both sides of, uh, of this. So, 
Um, so this is, this is where we're starting with these three levels. And like I said, we're, we're really focusing on these issues, matters that we would be able to say um, these are important, uh, but they're matters of conscience. We should be able to disagree about them. It would be unreasonable and unbiblical for me to break fellowship over the disagreement on these things. And so does the Bible tell us anything about how we're to conduct ourselves in that situation? And the answer is yes, it does very much so. Um, and I had plans. I was kind of glad when I uh, learned from Ken that you guys read. I was in with the littles last week, so I didn't get to be in here with you. That you uh, read through Romans chapter 14 all the way through. I was planning to do that with us, and that takes some time. So that's going to save us some time here. So we're going to go through. There. Um, now, I do open your Bible to, to Romans chapter 14, though, because we're going to spend quite a bit of time here. Instead of reading it all the way through, though, what I, what I want us to do is to think about, and I'll draw your attention, for each of these, there's going to be the verses listed up there so you can see them. But um, it's interesting, they talk in this chapter about how um, Romans 14 would have been helpful for Christians in that time who really had to struggle with the issue of meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, we don't struggle with the issue of meat sacrificed to idols. But, the, but Romans chapter 14 remains terribly important for us in the same realm because of the principles that Paul lays out uh, about how we are to behave with each other. So what, what, it, what is really important in this chapter are the principles that we see. And uh, they list out at the end of, the ch- of this chapter, they list out 12 of these. I've, I've tried to condense them. So I have eight principles that I'm pulling out of Romans 14 that I want us to notice together. These, these are principles that Paul is laying out for us, answering our very question for this week. How should we relate to fellow Christians when our consciences disagree? So you have Romans 14 out? So you can check and see if you, if you find these principles at work in the chapter also. All right. Number one, accept those who differ, not passing judgment on them or regarding them with contempt. That's one of the first things that he says. Uh, accept them. Now, I, uh, it's going to take too long to flip back through all that Romans 14, but think about the three levels. Where does it make sense to say that? Where is it appropriate to say that? Do I accept them, but not to pass judgment on their opinions if they are calling the Trinity into question? <laughs> He's not talking about any difference. He's talking about, about these specific matters, and we're going to get into the definitions of, of matters of conscience here in a minute. But here are the principles, right? Accept those who don't agree with you on that particular issue. And don't just accept them so that you can kind of poke holes in them as you can. Don't accept them in order to pass judgment on them. I mean, he knows us, doesn't he? He knows what we're going to do. He knows how we kind of, yeah. Principle number two, be fully persuaded in your own mind. Verse five. We've talked at the start of this about things like mind your own conscience. The conscience is a personal thing. Um, We are held accountable for our consciences. My conscience isn't right all the time, and I know that. And so it's my obligation, if I'm going to take a position, in other words, just because these things are third level, doesn't mean that what I think about them is unimportant. They are important, and my convictions about them are important as well. So I'm commanded on these third level issues 
to t- make the effort to be fully convinced. How else am I going to know if I need to calibrate my conscience? I, I agree. I think, it, I think this is something we pass over in this chapter sometimes. Um, but if we, if we pair it with what we have said already about our obligation in these things, then it, it's not a... Whatever I think, I'm just going to think it a lot. That's not what this means. Become fully persuaded about it. If you were at the conference this weekend, he, he brought up conscience in the Q&A yesterday. The question was raised about... Um, how do you know when you're on a hill you need to die on or not? You know, um, if you're a public school teacher and you're suddenly ordered to, to call this boy who thinks he's a girl, call her a girl, call, she, should you do that? Should you take a stand and get fired? And, and, and his answer was, this is why it is so important for us to be fully convinced in whatever position we're going to, to have because we cannot let someone bully us into violating our conscience. I don't want to get into that spot and not be fully persuaded and have to make a decision. I mean, that's just foolishness. I'm asking for trouble. So Paul says, be fully persuaded on these third-level issues. Know what your obligation is and take it seriously. Even as you accept those who differ (laughs) without passing judgment on them. Number three, um, do what you do as for God. Do what you do as an act of giving thanks to God. Um, and this, well, do, is this coming up? Well, we'll see here in a minute. Uh, so we see that in verse 6. Number 4, do what you do with the judging God in mind. And this is, I think, just a good repeat of the principle we've seen in this book, that, that Jesus is the Lord of our conscience. Because it is a third-level issue, I don't decide that whether I'm right or wrong, I'm going to be let off the hook about this. God cares. that There is a right and wrong on third-level issues. They're not a bit morally ambiguous. There is a right and wrong. It's just hard for us to discern it. So I do diligence. I do what I do consciously in an effort to do God's will and to please him. And I keep the judging God in mind. Number five, uh, do not pass judgment on one another. Sort of a repeat of of second part of the first principle. But also making clear where my focus is supposed to be. My focus isn't on the other person. My focus is on being obedient to the Lord. Number six, determine not to put up stumbling blocks for others. So we're not just um, accepting others and not passing judgment on them. As we have, remember, the, the context here is, is differences in opinion about something. Uh, one of my priorities needs to be the, the welfare of my brother or my sister, actively. Number seven, trust that others who disagree but are likewise serving God are acceptable to God. in what they do, and certainly in their, in their motives. I would, I would think we could sort of pair this with number three a little bit. 
and say, assume that our brother or sister who disagrees with us is doing the same. They are also taking their position, which disagrees with mine. They're taking their position in an attempt to please God. They are obeying their conscience, trying to be faithful to the Lord. And so trust that the others who disagree um, are acceptable to God. In fact, let's, I'm just going to read that, verse 18, the way he puts that. For he who in this way serves Christ, well, probably should have backed up. Well, anyway, um, for he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Again, doesn't mean that there's a right or a wrong, I mean, that there isn't a right or a wrong in these issues. And we're going to see how Paul is the one who's calling some of the brothers in this context weak brothers. He's making a, 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 a judgment call. But in our efforts to please God, God is their uh, Lord that they are working for, and, uh, and we trust him in this. And I even fit an eighth one on here. Let's see if the TV screen lets it. No, not very well. A person who lives according to his conscience is blessed. You see that at the end of the chapter there? I think it says, blessed is the man who does not condemn himself in what he does. Is that how it puts it? What a great single sentence for us to think about in this entire, uh, this entire book. And it's been held out to us already that, that um, we ought not disobey, we ought not go against conscience. Remember Luther? To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. And, the, and the, the word that we have here at the end of Romans 14 is the person who does not act in a way that he then, his conscience condemns him. This person is blessed other translations say happy. Happy is the man who, who do, has no need to condemn himself for what he does. There is a peaceful life that comes from taking our conscience seriously and working to walk by it. And in these third-level issues, matters of conscience, if, if um, Dick and I have a conscience disagreement, far from needing to be angry with him about it, I can be thankful that as Dick obeys his conscience on this particular issue, he is peace. He, God gives him peace. He is happy in that. And, and uh, so there's, we do these things with each other's best interest in mind. So uh, what's important in this chapter are the principles that Paul's giving us for how we approach one another in these particular contexts. And I, as I thought about it, I wanted to add, too, I think, not just what's important are the principles, but what's important uh, here is the, the circumstance that Paul is, is talking about. Um, I think we should, we should add that, because he's, he's telling us here, just think about what he's saying. Uh, he's telling us that we're going to experience times when our conscience is bothered by the actions of another believer, and... So this is a time when my conscience is bothered by something you're doing, and what I'm supposed to do is, essentially, nothing. I'm supposed to overlook it. I'm supposed to welcome them and not to pass judgment on their opinions. I'm supposed to overlook it. That, you put it that way, that almost sounds wrong. Would you agree there are a lot of other places where if we are... If we are in fellowship together, you do something that bothers my conscience. I'm not supposed to respond that way. 
If I learn that one of my brothers in my church is living with his girlfriend, that's going to bother my conscience. Do I just overlook it then? God forbid. Love in that case looks like going to him and confronting him on this and saying, you're wrong and you need to change. The very sorts of things that he's telling us not to do here. Right? So in other words, it's very important that we understand in Romans 14, he is writing to us about a specific, a specific circumstance. So what are the circumstances that Paul is writing about here? Well, they, they quote um, a guy named Doug Moo. If you haven't heard of him, that's a, maybe a memorable name. He is a very uh, highly respected New Testament scholar. His commentary on the book of Romans is, is, is a go-to for sure. And we're getting him in 2020. He's going to be a conference speaker for us here in 2020. So that's pretty cool. But uh, listen to what he writes about, about this. He says, the value of this section is not limited to Paul's advice on these specific issues, meat sacrifice to idols. For Paul here sets forth principles that are applicable to a range of issues that we may loosely classify as adiaphora, matters neither required of Christians nor prohibited to them. Now, that's very important that we understand that he's writing about a specific set of circumstances, a specific set of issues. These are issues about which we receive neither a command nor a prohibition. Do we have a command or a prohibition about living with our girlfriends before we're married? Yeah, we do. He's not talking about that. But there is a whole host of, of, of application matters about which we have no no written command or prohibition. Now, that doesn't mean that in those things we can do whatever we want, but it does mean that it gets more difficult sometimes to judge. Can you think of some examples? from baptizing infants? No, but when you're commanded it, it's not required either. Mm-hmm. I mean, so oh, you're saying, oh, I see what you're saying. So it would be, yeah. Should yeah. Oh, people, people do argue. There are people in our denomination that, that make that sort of an argument too. And, and by the way, there have been, I've read about, I'm kind of surprised, but there are churches that, that uh, in fact, I've, I've heard of some, anyway, there, there are churches that are doing the very thing I described as being very difficult, having uh, with, uh, and so, yeah, apparently it can, it can happen. Um, I think we would be in trouble if we tried to remove the category of second level second level issues um, but that's a big I mean that's a be an interesting discussion <laughs> I think what the second level he was stating that it's hard to be unified within the same church yeah if we're doing yeah. our consciences right yeah second level is not easy to parse there is some philosophical interpretation but the first level is issues of true faith that have to be adhered to right. for salvation right yeah. so yeah. It, Uh, 
Well, the key word in that category on the screen was deny. You cannot deny these things as they're revealed to you. You don't, you don't get them revealed to you. Look at them and go, no. The Spirit of God, right. So, but for that reason, I think it's important to be able to make that, that sort of a distinction. But, um, but yeah. Um, where, where are we going here? Oh, okay. So I, well, I was trying to think of some, some examples of some of these things. I mentioned um, sex outside of marriage, clearly prohibited. Um, there are a number of other issues, <laughs> obviously, that, um, uh, that do not rise to that level of clarity, but yet that we can feel sometimes just as strongly about as that. Um, and, and this gets into the place where we have to start to be very careful about, um, uh, about priority and about the intensity with which we're holding some of those positions. Um, I think that Ken brought up Martin Lloyd-Jones last week and some of the examples of his, um, his, his conscience comments or some of the, the, the places he, he went. Um, I was going to reread a little bit of that to you. Um, as an example of some of this, right? Matters neither required of Christians nor prohibited to them. You know Martin Lloyd-Jones. I mean, giant of the Orthodox Church. Uh, just an incredible pastor, preacher, writer. Um, he wrote, I'll just put two of these down. The modern method of installing a bath in each house is not only a tragedy, but has been a real curse to humanity. He wrote, when I enter a house and find that they have a radio, I know at once that there is something wrong. And I wonder if you went into your house and saw the television and the internet connection. I don't know if we even have radios in our houses. Uh, Alexa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he says he knows at once that there's something wrong. He's, he's concerned morally in these, in these situations. Now, he wrote that when he was 24 years old probably grew up from that. Um, but those are great examples of how, I mean, this, it doesn't matter how, um, how much study we have done, how clear thinking we are, uh, we all have areas about which we feel strongly. And think about it. The, the very nature of the fact that I feel strongly about it means I'm convinced that not just that it matters, but that, that it's clear and that you should think it too. And I mean, you, you know what that, what that feels like. The, the temptation to take, uh, we'll admit that there's three levels of issues, but the, the one in that third level that I care about like that is the one that I really kind of think should probably be over here. And I could make a, I, I've studied it for hours, so I could lay out a good case for you about why it really doesn't belong in the third level. We see it in other people, and it's hard when it's us. And, and so we have to kind of have public confession time to ourselves and, and admit. So how do I know? My emotions cloud my thinking in these things. How do I know? And I just, it's as I thought of that that I, that I really appreciated this. I've got to have a definition. I have to have something to go on. And if I'm, if I'm feeling strongly about something that the Bible gives me no command to do and no prohibition to avoid, at the very least, I need to be able to acknowledge that it is in that category and try to go from there. Um, and Carson writes about, the, about Paul in this context. 
If you think about what Paul went through, I mean, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the law keeper. You think he had struggles with conscience as he became a Christian? And he even had to start going to, the, to Gentiles and ministering to them. And I mean, um, so listen to what, what Carson wrote about Paul. Paul had sorted through elemental Christianity in a profound and nuanced way so that he knew when he could be flexible and when he should not bend. In other words, his grasp of theology enabled him to know who he was, what was expected of him, what he was free to do, and what he should not consider doing under any circumstances. That's, that's, that is something. That, that, I want to be like that uh, in these things. And I, can already, and I already know enough about myself to know how far I am and how, how difficult it's going to be for me to get there. I know there's a lot of humility that's going to need to continue to grow and a lot of perception, clarity about what God has revealed. Um, the point here is that it's, it's only as... Um, I mean, you think about it. This is the guy who then is able to teach us about how to relate with each other, right? It's only as our individual consciences are increasingly calibrated properly that we've got any chance of being able to interact with each other in a way that is befitting according to Romans chapter 14. So this should be another reason for us to be, to be urgently addressing our own consciences' calibration because... It's miscalibration is going to keep me from proper fellowship with, with you, and it's going to hurt you. Well, that example is, is another reason that this is so important. That will never happen if we're not able to think this way. And you just wait till next week in the next chapter. It's only about that. It's all about that. Um, so you're, 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 you're thinking exactly where we're heading here. Check out this chart. Uh, can you see any of that on there? I'll, I'll point out a few things. You don't have to be able to see it. It's a PDF, so I could not bold the font on there. So I'm, I'm sorry about that. Um, so this is, uh, let's keep thinking about Paul and Romans 14 a little bit uh, more here because it's clear in the way that he addresses this that his concern is not just about their unity. He's definitely concerned about the, about the unity between them, that these, if they don't handle this right, they're going to be divided. But he's concerned about more than that. Each group in Romans 14, the weak and the strong, Paul sees for both of them potential for great danger in the very place that they are. He sees potential for danger for the weak brothers, more danger than just disunity, actual danger in moving toward heresy. And that could be maybe, we could understand that, but we have to recognize that he also sees that danger for the strong brother. The strong brother is, is walking in a place where he has potential to depart because of this difference. It's a, it's a dangerous place. 
And so he's not just addressing unity. He's, he's, the way he responds to both of them hits at, their, at, at, the, at, at the, uh, the unique temptation that both groups are going to, to be experiencing. So let's start with the, with the strong. All right? So you can see the, maybe you can read the categories on top. Strong, 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 weak, weak, weak. Um, There's four strong and three weak is because the very middle column is the ideal. We're moving toward the ideal. And I hope, well, we'll, we'll talk about strong and weak and what that means. But uh, the ideal, ideal is a strong position. Uh, but as you move out from that, you move uh, further and further away from where we want to be. So let's start on the left side here. We will not look at all of this. We'll look at, I think, three places. Um, the strong, uh, so someone who's, whose conscience is, is right on that issue of meat sacrificed to idols. They're thinking theologically, they're thinking correctly. All right? What's the worst that could happen? Well, they could have that strong conscience on that issue, but carelessly, because of their position there, cross into to the line, cross the line into lawlessness and immorality. So they might say, um, I have freedom not only to eat meat, but to eat any meat in any circumstance. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we hear about a situation where probably these sorts of people are enjoying that freedom by going to parties at, at pagan temples and participating in the worship service of pagan temples. And Paul, the Paul that just called them strong here and said, it's fine to eat meat, he eats meat. He tells them in 1 Corinthians 10 not to do that. Don't go there and eat that meat. <laughs> this doesn't mean that there's lawlessness. This doesn't mean that there's no boundaries. And because there's, no, there's nothing behind this meat doesn't mean that there's nothing out there. So when you go participate in this, he says in that context, you are sharing in communion with the satanic. Uh, this is dangerous for you. You can enjoy your freedom to the point where you wander. Um, and so the book describes this as distorting the gospel by lawless subtraction. Uh, the other side is the weak conscience. How bad can it get? Well, your, your weak convictions about the lack of freedom in this case, that you really do have, but you're not walking in it, can lead you to cross the line into outright legalism. So that you would say something like this, you must follow the Old Testament dietary restrictions if you want to be a Christian. Well, what have you just done? You've just added to the gospel now. (laughs) Oops. You've just distorted the gospel by legalistic addition. Now, Paul sees the the, the potential for both of these things. You see what I mean? That he's not just concerned about their unity. All of us, in matters of conscience, because of pride, because we are all legalists by nature, we all have potential to go in some very bad directions. This is not just about whether I was thinking right about that issue or not. It's a heart issue. Now let's think about, I, I think this is, this is really helpful. Um, what could Paul have said to each of these groups? Let's start with the weak. Uh, he could have said to the weak, who, they're weak. Weak is inferior to strong, Right? Do you agree that when he calls them weak here, he's making a bit of a criticism? He could have said to them, mature. Uh, Start eating meat. You're wrong here. You need to grow up. 
You need to eat meat. After all, that's my position. Romans 14, 14 makes clear that he is not a part of the weak uh, category here. He belongs to the strong category. Grow up. Eat the meat. There's nothing to it. Just eat the meat. Do you notice he didn't tell them that in Romans chapter 14? Why didn't he tell them that? Well, think of what would have happened. Paul understands what's at stake here. And Paul understands the conscience. If he had done that, he would have been potentially compelling Christians to sin against their conscience. Because they're not there yet. You don't go to someone who's not there yet and put the meat in their face and tell them that they need to eat it. If they eat it then, will they be sinning? Yes. And so this is what the book says. Mature Christians should help other Christians train their consciences. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But no one should force others to change their conscience. This is work that the Holy Spirit does in us, that he's doing in all of us, that I'm not any more finished with than that person that I'm putting the meat in front of their face. I just have it in a different area, right? He could have said that, and that's what would have happened. He could have said to the strong, you must stop eating meat entirely. Since the kingdom isn't about eating and drinking, stop eating meat. Because exercising that freedom might affect those with a weak conscience. Do you notice, this one you may look more carefully, do you notice he doesn't tell the strong to do that in Romans 14? He doesn't tell them to stop eating meat. Why doesn't he tell them that? That would, that would solve the unity problem. The meat's not the issue anyway. Just ban it for the sake of the weak. That, that, would, that would bring them together. Why doesn't he do that? Well, we're not allowed to do that. That would be a denial of freedom that God has given to his people. It would be a denial of good bounty that God has given to us. Why does he give us good things? Doesn't he give us good things for us to enjoy? It's a sign of his blessing. It's an act of worship for us to enjoy the good things that he's given us for his glory. If Paul tells the strong to just stop eating meat, he is cutting that off. And that's, he has no right to do that. Um, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 4, I'll read that. You can turn if you'd like or just listen. First couple verses lead up to this. So, uh, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience, as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Verse 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Commands there to enjoy those things. Descriptions that those who forbid others from enjoying those things are false teachers who are acting on false premises. People who have a strong 
biblical theology, but also have a strong conviction? And have strong convictions. But, but that's, that's what I'm, I'm noticing here, that bringing this conversation about conscience to Romans 14 is opening up, to me, a, another, another category here that there's nothing wrong with having convic- personal convictions. Right. Right? Um, and and that, just because you have personal convictions, that doesn't mean you necessarily have No, no, that's absolutely right. And to me, what he says in this chap- in chapter 14 that speaks to that is when he tells, when he commands us, imperative, to be fully convinced in our own mind. And we, if we don't have strong convictions, now, of course, what do we mean by strong convictions? We could be talking about certainty. We could be talking about passion. Um, we'll talk about the passion part. Let's maybe save this because the passion part, is that, are you talking about the passion or the certainty, the researchedness of my position? That's right. But just because there are things that are right, a way that is right for me, that doesn't necessarily mean, and I hold to that notion, that doesn't necessarily mean that I have a weak, or that doesn't necessarily mean that I have a weak faith. No, yeah, and I hope that this didn't suggest that at all, yeah. You're, you're, you're right. The weak and strong isn't about that at all. It's, it's about the awareness or not of the freedom that we, that we have. Well, th- you say implied because that's our, that's our knee-jerk reaction always in, in those things. Is it's, if I, have, I feel it, it ought to be for everyone. I like the example because there's an example of one that's not even tied directly or, or concerned with, with biblical faithfulness. He's concerned about what his bosses will think. And his conviction is that, that this would be wrong. I would be wronging my bosses to be doing this. I, that's, that, it's it's going to be good to gather some of those sorts of, of examples. Um, I think, to me, the point here is simply, it doesn't do us any good to be stricter than God. What God has given us to enjoy, we are to enjoy, you know, that, this sort of a thing. Um, one of the things they say in the chapter here is they say, um, well, uh, one of the most important points in Romans 14 is something that Paul does not say 
that the weak in faith must change their view. He makes clear that he does not agree with them. And by labeling them weak, he implies also that they have room to grow on these matters. But he does not tell them to change their mind. He does not berate them for being immature. He does not tell them to get with the program. And my question is, is that not usually our reaction when we differ with someone? Uh, to quote Doug Moo again, he says, Paul would undoubt this is really good. Paul would undoubtedly support, I agree with this, Paul would undoubtedly support the church's efforts to educate its members as fully as possible about the gospel and its implications. Based on what we've seen in the chart and etc., is it, is it good to be in a position of a weak Christian? Is that a good, healthy thing? The ideal is for all of us to grow, right? If I spot a weak Christian position in Seth, I've got to know I've got three weak positions of my own. I'm strong in this one, and I would be the weak in this one. We all are struggling with these things. It, it, the ideal is for us to grow. We, we can admit that. But it is, it is, it is important for us to notice um, well, let me keep going here. So Paul would support the church's efforts to educate its members. But he is wise enough to know that there is a time and a place for such efforts. All of us have our traditions, and they are not easy to give up. As long as they are not contrary to the gospel and hindering the work of the church, we should learn to tolerate these differences. And See, that gets back to the notion of commanded or prohibited Right? Not that we don't need to educate in this, but that there is room to be patient with each other. Yeah? That's right. And that I'm not the Holy Spirit for you. So it's not the case that if I'm bearing with you and being patient, that you're just never going to grow. Boy, you know, if I don't say anything, they're just going to go on thinking this way. I got to do that. I got to help them out. Well, who do I think I am? I'm not the holy. Someone stronger than me is at work in that person 24 hours a day. You know, it'll be okay if I don't force this issue right now. Well, I can overlook and love and be patient. Um, yeah. Now, let's go to, so I, to finish out here because we're pretty much out of time. But uh, one important qualification that they make and then three final clarifications. Uh, and I still have the word two up here. It's just one, I think. No, it is two. Why did I change it to one? Oh, I know what I did. Okay, here's the qualification. One qualification, two conditions. <laughs> the qualification is this. Um, not saying that third-level issues are, not, uh, are, are, are unimportant. We have to remember that we've been saying that this entire time. Third-level issues are not unimportant matters. That is not what we're saying. That's why we should have convictions about them, because they do matter. And because they matter, it's okay to talk about them, and it's okay to preach about them, and it's okay to teach about them. In fact, we ought to be doing those things as we encounter them in God's Word, because they matter. Uh, but I, I refer again to um, what I just said from, from Doug Moo. Paul was wise enough to know that there was a time and a place for such things. So here's now the two conditions. When we talk about them and when we teach about them, there are two conditions we should be mindful of in ourselves. Number one, have the right spirit. As a general rule, 
I, they put this in here. I appreciated it. As a general rule, be strict with yourself and generous with others. Have the right spirit in light of these things we've been talking about. And number two, and this, I, I can, there's specific, this makes me think of specific things in me, and I think the Lord's been growing me, and I'm thankful for that. Um, have the right proportion. Keep disputable matters in their place as third level issues. Don't become preoccupied with them or divisive about them. They shouldn't be the main reason that you choose what church to join. They shouldn't be issues that you are the most passionate about, such that you are constantly trying to win people over to your position. Now that's hard, because we're saying they're important things. But keep the right proportion. Think of them as as important third-level issues. And don't treat them as important first-level issues ought to be treated. And then finally, last thing here, and we'll close. Three final clarifications. Uh, what does Paul mean when he describes them as weak in faith? Uh, and they, this is, I think, a good clarification. They, they say, understand that faith here is not referring to saving faith in Christ, but to the confidence a person has in their conscience to do a particular activity. All right? That word faith means multiple things. It has to do with conviction as well. Even the word uh, weak um, has, has multiple meanings. So it's, uh, anyway, just don't think that this is talking about the condition of someone's faith in Christ. It's not what they're talking about. Um, number two, what is the stumbling block, verse 13, that can destroy or cause a brother to stumble? What is he talking about? The concern here is not merely that your freedom may irritate, annoy, or, affr- or offend your brother, your weaker brother or sister. If a brother or sister simply doesn't like your freedoms, that is their problem. But if your practice of freedom leads your brother or sister to sin against their conscience, then it becomes your problem. The stumbling block principle does not teach that we must refrain from an activity that another believer may simply disagree with. It's not a matter of disagreeing or being angered by. We're talking about someone who would be led into sin by this. And in that, Paul says, if I'm going to lead someone to sin, I'll just, then I will never eat meat again. I don't care about the meat. I care about my brother. And then third, this is just a quote, we must never allow the conscience of others to determine our own conscience, but we must always consider the conscience of others when we determine our own actions. And that, I think, five minutes over time is a great place to to stop it. Um, We'll just go ahead and close. Thank you.